This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, energy expert and former Liberal MP Dan McTagg is back on the Shift, talks sky-high gas prices, gets into how we can use oil and gas to bridge the gap between more affordable and reliable green energy down the road in due time. We kick off the technological world by diving into conversation about games. Is it okay for video games to be difficult? A new Metroid game is so tough, people want it to be easier. Blank Kylo also weighs in on this issue, reviews the game, and talks about gadgets like computers and Windows 11. And are you okay with gingerbread Mountain Dew? It's all coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? With Undercover Boss. Oh, yeah. I remember that show. That was a good show. It was a, it's a neat it idea. It's unbelievable always, though. No, exactly. That's the thing. Like, Here's a strange I, guy unless who asks a lot watched... of questions and a fake mustache. Yeah, it's always like, yeah, we're filming, you know, the, the we're filming you working for a documentary. And then, oh, there's also a new guy that just showed up that also is wearing a very sus suspect costume. And is asking you all these personal questions and seems to carry themselves like a rich person, right? It was pretty, you know, I don't know, but it was still a neat idea. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I like the idea of it. Um, in case you don't know the show, uh, Ryan wanted to help you understand the show with this. Undercover Boss is that show E here. That's a typo. Oh, no. No. Where? No, no. Big time CEOs decide to disguise themselves as normal worker bees. Bee bees. Uh Worker bees. This is is not good. That's not the right bees. That's a typo. It's their chestna chance uh, to see what their (laughs) employees employ Yeezy. That's a typo. Go Thanks. through on a day-to-day basis. This is terrible. Even Kylo Ren, Dark Lord in Star Wars, went undercover as Matt to see what stormtroopers think of him. What up, Matt? Hey, you kicked my wrench. Jerk face. Have you guys seen Kylo Ren's lightsaber? Yeah, man. That thing's weird looking. No, it's not. It's awesome. Here, let me go see if I can find it. I'll show it to you. Look, I found Kylo Ren's lightsaber. Look at it up close. That thing looks dangerous, man. Poorly made. The little kid made it. Then you don't have to look at it anymore! Uh, I'm 90% sure Matt is Kylo Ren. It's like... It's funny. One of the best SNL skits. Like, modern? That That was a good one. Bit, what if your boss came to work? But... That's a typo. What if your boss came to work not undercover? That's exactly. This is clearly oh, the man. typo script. What? What? So um. That's a typo. Uh, what some fast food chains in the states are doing because they don't. Mm, we'll let the punctuation fly on that one. Have enough employees to run their restaurants. 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 It's a typo. Oh, typo. <laughs> Raising Cane's is asking corporate employees to work as fry cooks and cashiers as it deals with the restaurant industry's labor sh- industry's labor shortage. Here's more from Local 12. CNN reports the fast food chain will send 250 of CNN reports the fast food chain will send 250 of its corporate workers to serve as frontline employees. The CEO says Raising Cane's hopes to hire 10,000 more people in 50 days. He says the chain will invest 70 million dollars into higher wages. A September survey by the National Restaurant Association found 71% of restaurants are understaffed right now. Uh, do you think that the bosses should be working the front line? Um, I think for a day, no, actually, for like a couple of weeks. That's a good idea. Some perspective. There's that video of Jeff Bezos walking through an Amazon warehouse. I feel I feel like that's the first time he's stepped in one of those in, in like five years. Uh, maybe some perspective. And uh, mm-hmm. I think if I was running a company and I got to a point where, you know, I was doing really well, but I needed to go work at the, you know, the bottom of the food chain. 
pardon the pun, that would kind of make me think I need to be doing something different here. Why am I here right now? Mm-hmm. Why are they here right now? What are they doing here? I think that's I I used to have a radio boss time. and it, twice a year he used to get on the radio on Saturday afternoons. And he used to say, I just want to know how it feels. I want to know how this whole thing's working. And it was terrible. He did a terrible radio show. He would even get his name wrong half the time. Um, he used to use the name in Calgary. There's the Bow River runs through downtown. He used to call himself Bow Rivers. Uh, but then he'd get his name wrong and say his name was Bob. So <laughs> I'm Bob. Oh, Bo. Uh, it was terrible. But you know what? He learned what the inner workings of the day-to-day were. I know there's an awful lot of uh, tradespeople that if their staff goes on strike, some of them have to work the tools, man. So I say, yeah, put them to work. Go find out what it's like. Maybe the staff shortage won't be less of a thing if you knew how much hard work they did. Treat them differently, you know? It's very important, I think, that bosses know how hard their their people work. Are you okay? Are you okay with Mountain Dew? Ooh. Um, from time to time. It's one of those pops that can make your mouth bleed if you drink too much of it. Uh, but it tastes fine. It's different. It's great when you're playing video games. There's a reason why, you know, the joke Mountain Dew and Doritos are the, the gaming snack. There's merit to that. I love the flavor, the limey flavor of it. Yeah. They get the lime nice. They get the lime nice. And, and I like the weird It's been around forever. Too. Like, it's around when my mom yeah. was a kid. So Mountain Dew's been around forever. Long time. It's one of the oldest pops out there. But it's uh, always people been, have been uh, doing the do. Doing the do. It's been kind of edgy. You know, they've always had that bit of an edgy thing. You know, just listen to this this do ad. <laughs> this do ad from the 90s. I'm so proud of my grandson. He just did a raging 100-foot vertical. Oh, that's nothing. My Daniel caught some wicked air. That's bogus. My Billy ripped a whitewater free fall. Well, my Thomas does the do. Oh. Nothing more intense than slamming Mountain Dew. You must be very proud. Kind of like the original look at what Red Bull became, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, sorry, just tangent. Can we talk about how awesome ads were in the 90s and early 2000s? Just how bizarre and stupid they were. And now it's like, here at McDonald's, we're creating an atmosphere. I don't care. Show me an ad of a dragon eating a Big Mac and, you know, a knight trying to get it from him. That's way more fun do that i miss that era so in the spirit of doing the do it makes sense why they would try to make mountain dew taste like a gingerbread man oh no run run as fast as you can you can't catch me i'm the gingerbread man you're a monster i'm not the monster here you are now tell me where are the others eat me tell me or i'll no not the buttons not my gumdrop Buttons. All right, then. Who's hiding them? Okay. I'll tell you. Do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man. Yes, I know the Muffin Man. Who lives on Drury Lane? Well, she's married to the Muffin Man. The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man! (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee you, every single person listening to this show that's under the age of 27 knows that scene from Shrek word for word. That was a great, that was the, that was the gingerbread man. Um, And so, yeah, Mountain Dew has come out with gingerbread snapped Mm. in time for Christmas. You see, I love the cranberry ginger ale. The best. I'm not quite sure that Mountain Dew gingerbread is described as dew with the blast of artificial gingerbread flavor. The bottle features gingerbread men and other festive things. Okay. Pop open a bottle and cozy up to a citrusy scene of holiday nostalgia with a warm, sugary scent of fresh, fresh baked, <laughs> fresh baked gingerbread that's sure to put your Aunt Tina's cookies to shame. That's what the press stuff says. Mountain mm. Dew hasn't confirmed when exactly the new snapped soda will be hitting the stores, but 
I think that's your corny scene right there, hey? This uh, warm, sugary scent of fresh-baked gingerbread. A lot yeah, different than my 20-foot yeah. vertical. Yeah. I'll try that. I, I don't even like gingerbread that much, but I'd try <sighs> that. Does anybody really like gingerbread? Like, does anybody really go, you know what I want today? I want gingerbread. If someone gives you a gingerbread cookie, why do you eat it? Because the icing on it. Yeah. The icing, the that was always the best part of making a gingerbread house is just yeah. sneaking some icing while you're trying to keep right. the house together. And uh yeah, I don't I don't know. It's fine at Christmas. I love ginger. Just gingerbread is like eh. hmm. Meh. We'll Meh. see. Ryan says he'll try the snapped. I'll try it. If I'll I let can him find try it. the snapped. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you okay? I mean, I can't imagine gingerbread pop though. Like that just to me is <laughs> it uh can I imagine it? I think I can imagine it. I just can't and imagine it tasting Dew? great. Why don't they just come out with Could... gingerbread snaps? Snapped. Pop. It has to be Mountain Dew, because they're the only company that would do something this weird. Like you look at their flavors, code red. They have um Mountain Dew SA. It's a can with the American flag on it and it says yeah, Dew SA on it. And they like fun, they do though. weird they're... stuff like this all the time. So they're it makes sense on the that same they thing, would thing though. I guess so. Weird. Moving on, are you okay with wearing a necklace? I do it every day. Okay. Next line. I take the... it off at home. Many people wear them every day. By many people, we mean Ryan. I haven't worn one in a long time. I don't know. I don't find, I don't wear jewelry so much. Yeah. No. I mean, I like a nice watch. The watch, uh, watches irritate me because I got a bunch of arm hair. So it's like they pull on my arm hair, like my wrists. I hate that. You need a better watch. I know. James Bond um, watch, maybe. <laughs> jewelry can be religious, shiny bling, or some proper ice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Word whitest up. sentence I've right? ever heard. <laughs> I typed that and I'm just hearing it out loud. Oh, man. What about wearing some big bling, like really big bling, for a long time? <laughs> this is a stretch, but okay. An elk in Colorado end up. Oh, man. Oh, end up. That's a typo. A poor elk in Colorado ended up with some long time bling. Unfortunately for him, it was a tire and it was stuck on his head for two years. Here's more from oh. Inside Edition. The unusual sight was first noticed in the summer of 2019 when wildlife officials took this photo. During the breeding season, their necks swell up. And they get much thicker. And our worry was that animal would fill up the entire uh, center of that tire and potentially restrict um, blood flow or air or ability to grow because that tire was around its neck. They finally caught up with the animal and shot it with a tranquilizer dart to remove the tire, which was rimmed with metal. They had to unfortunately cut off the antlers. And here are those antlers and the tire today. I suspect that this elk will be doing just fine. He's going to grow a brand new set of antlers in the spring. At last, he's free of that tire. Okay, I have questions. So they, wow. they, they, they shot him with a tranquilizer mm -hmm. to take the tire off. And in order mm -hmm. to take the tire off, like a bracelet style around his neck, they had to take off his antlers in order to get the tire off. Why didn't they just cut the tire? Because, uh, well, it's, uh, uh, oh, there was metal lined. So they probably couldn't, they could maybe cut the top part, but they would be having to cut through something really difficult close to the elk's neck. Mm. So if they okay, cut the so antlers I... off, there's no, so yeah, there's no. Okay, so if I said this to you, hey, Ryan. Okay. I know there's this elk. He's got a tire around his neck. We got to go save him, get the tire off his neck. What would be the first thing that we would ask? Do we have the tool to cut the tire off his neck? I'm oh, what would we need a tool to cut through a tire? Jeez, I don't know. Let's call a mechanic. Hey, mechanic man or lady, uh, what do we need to cut through a tire? Well, you're probably going to need a grinder. Okay, sounds good. Did you bring the tranquilizer dart? Perfect. Now there's a half-naked elk with no antlers. Walking around, can't protect himself, and, and he's got no 
He's got no antlers. No antlers. No antlers, but because he has no antlers, it's a very low chance he'd be hunted because hunters don't want, uh, you know, a trophy with no antlers on it. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Yeah, well, lady elks uh, also don't want a trophy with no antlers. That's a fair point. Uh, yeah, I. At least they got you it all. Run from all the. You better run from all the big elks. It is worth noting that they they cut the antlers not like down to the bone. Like they're just. Short antlers. It's like get, he got a haircut, oh, like, basically, but his antlers. He's got nubs now. He's got he nubs. He has little nubs. He does. It's pretty adorable, actually. All right. Um, removal of the elk's antlers might also make it less attractive to hunters. Oh, um, tranquilizer, uh, meat, parks people. Removing antlers of wildlife caught up in things is actually quite common. It does not address who forgot the grinder to cut the tire off. It was probably Bob. Uh, how the elk got its head through the tire in the first place remains a mystery. I have a sneaking suspicion. He was young, and he was eating something and lifted up his head, and the tire, it was eating in the middle of the tire. Unless, of oh, course, maybe there was yeah. a, a small tire swing, and he got really excited and tried to go for a ride. You never know. Those elk, they're crazy. The tire may have been part of a feeder of some kind and put his head through it, and then um, Mr. Murdoch said it might have been used as a tire swing didn't look very big mm-hmm. enough for a tire swing it was a someone with a human with a very small butt if that's the case and it, since when does a, a i don't know this maybe this is new maybe this is just me learning the biology of the elk i think what when it's mating season is it really the neck that swells up yeah i mean it, uh, all of it <laughs> all it gets swole Think about it. <laughs> or not. Or don't. Everything about that's weird, man. Everything. That's a weird story. That's a weird story. Well, I hope the, the elk guy is out dating with his new nubs and stuff. Are you okay? Are you okay with plumbing? Ryan hates plumbing. <laughs> yeah, you hate it. No, you do. All right, as post-traumatic punami I have a good plumbing story, though. I woke up today to find out that a plumber was coming to my apartment to snake the drain. We didn't even ask our landlord to do that. They just called and had them do that to prevent it. The plumber went in. I asked him some questions. He was like, oh, yeah, there was some stuff backed up. It's all clear now. I just wonder how close I was to having another toilet catastrophe. Uh, Did you ask my apartment? No, I don't need to know that. I inferred. All right. Plumbers are essential. Plumbers are amazing, by the way. And plumbers yeah. put their hands in places that we won't to make sure that our lives are more convenient. We should all thank a plumber. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also a common source of unwanted butt crack views. <laughs> Why did you? That's funny. Uh, plumbing is dirty work. And when something goes wrong, it goes very, very wrong. You thought Ryan had it rough with his um, punami. That he had a few months ago with his uh, toilet overflowing. Well, wait till you hear this story. A family in Minnesota is trying to get answers and help from the city after the toilet exploded. As the quote says, like, Old Faithful is more from CBS4. Rita Sanders doesn't want to think what might have happened if someone had been sitting on her home's toilet last Wednesday morning. Pressure was blowing out of the toilet. So it was like um, Old Faithful. I've never been through an earthquake But that's the only thing I can think of. The incident knocked a painting off its hanging, left Rita's home with some water damage, and her sleeping husband ended up hurt. It startled him so bad that when he got up, he hit the dresser with his forehead. So he's got a nice little V. Outside were Pine City Public Works employees, who Rita feels are responsible. She says this is the second time this has happened in the last few years. Neighbors, though, didn't experience the same unusual blast of water. Well, it's, it made me sad for them because I know they had that trouble before. That makes me sad for them. I feel for you, man. I really do. Well, you didn't have all faithful. You had just a bit of an overflow. <laughs> um Scott Hildebrand, the city administrator, says the workers were jetting the sewer line, a way to clean it out without using high-pressure water streams. 
He wishes Sanders would have called immediately following the incident. She chose to send a letter instead in order to have communication about the problem in writing. Letter? Who does that? Uh, the city is yeah. sending someone out to hopefully diagnose the problem early Wednesday morning. So, plumbers. I got a text here from Trucker Dan. He says, elk grow their antlers in mating season. This extra weight causes the neck to swell up to support it. Ah, neat. First of all, that totally makes sense. Thank you. Second of all, how do you know that? I think everybody needs to have a bank of obscure facts that like no one else has. I have many mm. that I, I love. All right. Uh, As a plumber, my close bud worked at the Vancouver airport for four decades. Poor guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Thanks, Catherine. Public, man. I've got a friend who's a plumber, and he said grocery store bathrooms in downtown areas, they don't even stick their hands in there because it's, like, filled with needles and all kinds of stuff. People try to flush them. It's very dangerous for the plumbers. So, This is The Shift Podcast. Price of gas is high. My son got very excited over gasoline being $1.32 at Costco. That's a terrible thing to be excited over, but it's good news based on the way things have gone. Dan McTagg, Canadians for Affordable Energy, is with us uh, here on The Shift. Uh, Dan, we, um, we're in a bit of a pickle, Dick. We are, and uh, how long it'll be before we get out of it is anyone's guess. No one saw this coming. Well, some of us did, but we weren't taken very seriously. Um, and there's a whole host of reasons why it has gone where it has gone. Uh, but I think we're probably going to be able to catch our breath for the next couple of weeks before it starts moving up again. The, the beat goes on. I mean, RBC, uh, Citibank, uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, all these guys are, all these banks are spending a considerable amount of their time earning credits by ensuring that they're diverting money away from oil and gas production. So along comes the pandemic, ruins the, uh, ruins the production. Uh, many companies are left bankrupt or teetering on that uh, oil's been given away at minus 37 dollars a barrel on april 20th 2020 and now you have this mad rush to get back on track and uh, uh this uh this pent-up demand now has to be met and it can only be met by more not less oil and more not less natural gas more not less coal and the list goes on so uh europeans are in trouble especially germany and the uk um factories are closing Electricity rates have gone through the roof because they can't get natural gas to back them up. There's enough solar activity. We're getting into, you know, uh, close to winter. Uh, Northern Hemisphere gets less light. And, of course, winds have been very great either. So a lot of things to consider. But uh, bottom line, uh, this is actually the worst time to have experimented uh, with the idea of the Great Reset and to build back better and all these other wonderful notions that we could somehow simply flip a switch and... uh, turn off all fossil fuels it's scary there's no denying that um and it's become very very obvious now is this just a flash in the pan here or is this squeeze opec squeeze uh thing part of this in that um you know i mean opec didn't make a bunch of money for a long time and then they're going to want to make their money back and so they are controlling the inventory available in the marketplace is that what this is all about or is there something else going on i think it's more than that i mean opec looking at the united states and saying you guys in the past 10 years became the swing producers you guys produce 13 million barrels a day now you're down to 11 fix your own problem we have our own clients and we have countries that you know have little deals china will do anything it can to buy all the barrels of oil that are spare out there that they can get their hands on at any price same for coal same for any other resource there is um i think uh, a lot to be said about uh, you know, OPEC can play its game, but frankly, OPEC uh, lost its uh, its way uh, in 2008 to 2012 when the U.S. began its fracking revolution and uh, untapped, you know, millions of barrels of oil that uh, everyone thought couldn't be released and uh, was on, on its way to continuing this so-called energy security. Uh, in other words, the U.S. didn't really need OPEC and OPEC found new clients. So, they're not likely to, you know, open up as much as they sh- could or should. Um, and of course, the irony for them is uh, 
you know, North America, you have more than uh, your abundance of oil between the United States and Canada. Uh, the two countries alone have far more oil than Saudi Arabia uh, and the next two and Russia combined. So it's really a question of priorities. And I think uh, this is where I think the issue of, uh, uh, of carbon emissions, um, the, the upcoming, uh, you know, uh, shindig in, in Glasgow, uh, is going to come to uh, the fore. And I think that's going to be a reflection of the fact that, um, you know, China and other countries are simply not interested in capping emissions, not when they can't get enough fuel to drive their economies. And so um, I, I think for OPEC, it's uh, sit and wait. They don't want to get burnt. They don't want to have the Americans crank out their oil as they did before and, and, and hammer their, uh, you know, hammer the value of their product. Um, so you had a pretty interesting harmony, a balance right up until 2019, until 2020, at the beginning of COVID. And that's uh, left many people, including OPEC, saying, uh, we don't want to get burnt again. You guys can go burn yourselves and you can go decide to you know, shut in your oil production and natural gas production. But we're not part of that. And we're not going to abide by the same rules. The fact is, OPEC, in many respects, doesn't have the oil to supply the world. Even with Russia involved, they have their own domestic issues. Look at uh, Qatar, I mean, the largest uh, exporter, producer exporter of LNG, liquid natural gas, saying we're upset with these natural gas prices. They've gone up 13 fold, but there's not a thing we can do about it. And so, um, you know, uh, it's one thing to say, hey, turn on the taps. But uh, what if there's nothing at the other end? So one of the conversations from a few days ago out of the United States was maybe we'll just stop exporting. We're going to take care of ourselves now. Can Canada do that? And what does it look like if Canada were to do that? And Canada were to just say, you know what? We're going to keep it all for ourselves. We're going to be self-sufficient when it comes to energy. Well, we consume, what, 2 million barrels a day. Uh, that's where refineries use. Um, we would probably have, uh, I'm going to guess, uh, uh, we can produce 4 or 5 million barrels a day. But this would just lead to a million barrels not going anywhere. A uh, million barrels at eighty dollars. Uh, you know, can you walk away from, you know, uh, can you walk away from uh, five or six billion dollars a day? Uh, sorry, eight hundred, nine hundred million dollars in economic activity per day. I don't think so. So that's kind of where we're at, and it's kind of leading, I think, many to the conclusion that, uh, you know, such a thing would would only have one impact because we really don't have one customer, uh, and that's of course the United States. Um, the Americans need our oil. They would be short. How much do we sell to the oil? Uh, how much oil do we sell a day? Four, four million barrels, three and a half million barrels a day to the United States. They import, they export some of it back to us, especially Eastern Coast refineries. So I hear I'm thinking, of course, of Irving in Newfoundland, uh, sorry, in, Nova, in New Brunswick and uh, Valero in, uh, in, in St. Romuald, uh, just outside of Quebec City. Um, but the balance is still about a million and a half barrels net a day is what we sell to the United States, especially to the U.S. Midwest. Um, and that would uh, leave Canada broke. It would leave the United States significantly short. Uh, we just opened up a pipeline or uh, rebuilt a new pipeline, went from 400 to almost 800,000 barrels a day, a doubling of that pipeline. Um, it's in everyone's interest. When the Americans talked about energy security and the world, you know, hoped that we would achieve that someday. They were re really referring to this symbiotic relationship between Canada and the United States. And I think that still holds. Uh, but for it to really hold, um, we're going to have to uh, remind people that uh, walking away from fossil fuels, uh, hydrocarbons isn't a very bright thing to do. And frankly, we just can't build enough nuclear reactors. We can't build enough hydro projects. We can't afford, you know, uh, 100 or 200 site sea dams. Of course, I'm exaggerating. Uh, and that, I think, is leading uh, everyone now to perhaps a, um, a question of balance in their minds. We have been nothing but, uh, you know, anti-fossil fossil fuel, uh, you know, climate, uh, uh, climate uh, concern in overdrive to the extent that we've now really painted ourselves into a corner. And America has done the same as well. So the Green New Deal and all these other wonderful ideas I think uh, uh, for many years are utopia, utopic, but more importantly, they're actually dangerous in the way that they're being implemented. Europe being, of course, uh, you know, a poster child as to what not to do when it comes to tripling down on, uh, on renewables, which can't meet the needs 
current or, or down the road of, uh, of their economies. Well, you just talked about Eastern Canada and I want to get to line five, but first I want to read you an email that came in um, from a gentleman named Robert Ashworth. He sent this email in a couple of days ago and we were talking about the price of gas and so on. And I was curious to get your thoughts, Dan McTagg, on what this, uh, where this lands for you. And it's very well, I'm not judging the guy, but he has an opinion and I wanted to get your response. He says, yes, sure. energy is going up, but it's been more expensive before, just like before 2008 crash, supply and demand. We face the problem of global warming. We could try to produce more fossil fuels, but maybe not a good idea. Green energy is better, but it may cost more at first. The alternative may be worse in terms of climate change. Robert Ashworth listening to CKNW in Bellingham, Washington. So that's the perspective of Robert. Where does that land for you as the uh, affordable energy guy? Well, I mean, I, I, I think he has a, a valid point about uh, energy and what we need to do to make the transition, except that it's not there and it won't be there. Uh, lithium prices are up uh, almost as much as oil and natural gas prices. Uh, you know that uh, transition of this nature is something that has to be done over the next 50 years, not five years. Um, I think, of course, it's and I find this interesting because his uh, state governor is always very big uh, to talk about you know the need for transition but they got four bloody refineries in their backyard he's in bellingham he knows which ones i'm referring to um you know the american position in, in states like washington is uh, is to some extent uh, potentially leading to you know uh, hip, being hypocritical uh canada's twisting itself into a pretzel uh you know not one but two carbon taxes which washington state doesn't have and let me let me be really emphatic uh we've done this trendy stuff here in British, there in British Columbia, you have a 10 cent carbon tax and you have a 16 cent second carbon tax called the clean fuel standard. It's because it's $470 a ton, which works out to 16 cents a liter, according to the regulatory impact analysis statement of the federal government uh, on December 20th, uh, December 19th, uh, when it brought forth its uh, version of the BC carbon clean fuel standard. My point is that uh, we have already gone down this road and it's not reducing emissions. So I'm not sure what is really meant by this, but if one is suggesting that we have to use only, uh, you know, uh, windmills or solar panels or solar energy uh, in order to get by, you're talking about a massive retrograde step backwards, not just in terms of the quality of life he and I enjoy, but uh, the, uh, the ability for the world economy and for individuals to survive uh, in an environment where we've prospered, and yeah, while we can talk about emissions, I think we we have a we have a we have a unique opportunity here to recognize we're getting carried away, uh, especially in Canada. Now, the United States can do some catch up if they like. They can shut down coal plants like we did 20 years ago, um, and they can actually do things which we can't do. They get credit for shutting down coal plants. We were too smart. We did it many, many years ago. Also, of course, when it comes to coal, we could uh, we could ask Americans to stop shipping us coal into Vancouver uh, and then, you know, uh, have us ship it then to China. There's a lot of things that, you know, we do in this country that I think uh, tends to get ignored. But the one thing that uh, we can't ignore is the fact that uh, uh, Canadians are leaders, not just in terms of new technologies dealing with uh, uh, dealing with lower emission type of energy forms. And I think you're, uh, we talked about this before you and I, SAG-D technologies that uh, use a very different way in which to extract heavy oil. Uh, you know, we, uh, we have less methane in terms of our own production. That's not to compare one country against another. I mean, Americans have advantages, but our technology has been proven and uh, our footprint, I think, is uh, pretty substantially uh, less comparatively speaking and someone says well per gdp well we're small population located along the u.s border but let's be honest about the about what we are as a country uh you know we we have the third largest reserves in the world and we also happen to be the oldest country on the face of this planet yes more than siberia and russia uh and certainly more than the united states even with alaska thrown in there uh, we don't have the equivalent of hawaii to balance things off i think the points he makes are interesting but i think that's the kind of argument I heard last year. And that's the kind of argument, uh, in all due respect, that's put us in the pickle that we find ourselves in uh, uh, internationally. I think we've gone far too fast on this, and we did not look before we left. And we thought the technology was there. It's not there. And I guess I, I come down to this. 
if you want your lithium batteries, if you want the new EVs and you want these solar panels, you got to start thinking from the time in which you extract them to the time in which you dispose of them. All those things are extraordinarily hard to do. Uh, you can't take, uh, you know, windmills, chop them up and, uh, you know, send them to recycler. They have to be buried. Uh, the cadmium and other products coming from solar panels are not exactly the kind of things that can be, you know, readily, uh, you know, uh, terminated and, uh, and, and, and brought back into uh, a recycling format. Um, so, you know, there's a significant downside, not just in terms of what these, what these renewables do, it's what they don't do. They're not reliable. They're not affordable. And without government subsidies, um, they're not even useful. So I know what we're trying to do and what we're trying to say, but I think we just have to go out about it a different way. Um, maybe a compromise would be, let's start, you know, building out our natural gas, uh, our natural gas capabilities in both Canada and the United States. I think that's the, you know, the middle ground for both of us. All right. So Edwards line five, um, the, basically what happened was, is the state of Michigan revoked its easement to allow it to go through. There's lots of conversation that says state can't do that anyway. It's a federal issue. Da 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 da. Um, the environmentalists have now jumped all over the um, '70s treaty that they're trying to use to say that yes, we can do this um, with all kinds of petitions and everything else. There's a bunch of people working to shut that thing down. Is there anybody working to keep it open? Only the federal government in Ottawa, apparently, that didn't really pay much attention to this until a few months ago. Now, I'd been given notice of this in my old days when I was working at Gas Buddy. And when, you know, part of the things we used to do over there was management uh, and, and uh, we would use the uh, outage tracker in those states where there would be some kind of impending disaster, usually a hurricane, et cetera, where the, uh, or like you saw with the Colonial Pipeline shut down for whatever reason. But when uh, emergency management officials in those states used to pull me aside three, four years ago saying, do you guys really know? Uh, how serious a threat the shutting down of Line 5 is because the state of Michigan, since Enbridge's uh, disaster at the Kalamazoo River in 2010, has been absolutely determined to shut down anything and everything to do with Enbridge, not because they, of the track record being 100% uh, you know, bulletproof under the Straits of Mackinac, but because there is a risk and that the company has proven itself in the past not to be exactly diligent when it came to protecting uh you know waterways so they have a bit of a claim one of their most ardent advocates in favor of shutting down line five is dana nestle dana is of course uh, the attorney general and has been attorney general since 2012 in that state and it's been her lifelong mission to do everything she can to get that thing shut down no matter what political pressure no matter who's in power uh, Whitmer comes along, becomes uh, governor a couple of years ago, and she joins in the chorus and fights this. And most U.S. presidential Democratic aspirants said the same thing, from Pete Buttigieg all the way to Biden himself, that he would revoke it. So now we're at treaty time, and that's where the federal government said, well, we're going to pull this away from Michigan. It becomes a matter of treaty on the transmission of energy. It's an important one. But my concern here is that I, and, and, and being somewhat familiar with my background in foreign affairs, I know that treaties are only as good as those who practice them. If there's an interest the United States finds in keeping it, then I'm sure that they'll say, well, you know, let's, uh, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll work this out. I'm not convinced that the political climate in the United States gives Biden a whole lot of room when the people he owes his leadership to and his, his significant victory to are, in fact, uh, the, you know, the Green New Dealers. Um, I don't think he has much of a choice. And he's likely to say, you know, in the same way he killed the Keystone XL, <laughs> stroke of a pen, gone, history. What concerns me is the federal liberals in Ottawa uh, have been dithering. Uh, they've done nothing to notice anything until it became pretty obvious that Michigan was going to move on this. Um, they haven't got a contingency plan. And to my way of thinking, the best thing the federal government could do, and let me offer them one because they know it's out there. And they used to take my advice when we were in power. Uh, get the Trans-Canada, uh, Trans-TC Energy, uh, Trans-Canada Pipeline's main line, which runs natural gas from Alberta all the way into Ontario. Convert that into oil pipeline and use that as your offset so you don't need line five anymore. No one's thinking about that. No one's talking about that because everybody thinks, oh, the, you know, the treaty, the treaty, the treaty. Well, Americans have abrogated many, many bloody treaty. Uh, I can list them off, but I'm not going to get people bored with things that they don't think is consequential. 
All I know is that if this whole thing is just hanging on President Biden's whim, um, we're in a pretty dangerous, uh, we're in a very precarious position here in Eastern Canada, and uh, we better smarten the hell up. It's very clear. Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP and Canadians for Affordable Energy. Um, we're going to keep the conversation alive because we're starting to see the squeeze one long weekend and barely a tiptoe into fall. And we've already started to see um, an awful lot of things change quickly. And boy, oh boy, I don't know about you, Dan, but that sure got everybody's attention. Oh, it did. I'm getting media that I'd never have, haven't spoken to me in many years. Um, cold weather's coming. And uh, the, uh, <laughs> I guess the, uh, when the shovels come out, uh, so is the reality of uh, how the hell are we going to pay for our electrical bills and our, our, uh, our energy bills. So, uh, Canada's blessed with the stuff. So let's hope that we have that big, big discussion because uh, for a lot of people, it's going to be a tough winter, and um, it may they may have to dust off some of the old work that uh, that I put together many years ago of giving back giving back a, uh, an energy rebate, a form of heating allowance uh, using their GST. Who knows what they're going to do? I know that uh, companies, oil companies, are happy with the money. It's a windfall. Uh, governments are happy because it's a windfall for them too in terms of revenues, royalties, etc. But uh, if it has the effect of making the world a poorer place, um, I don't think that's in anyone's interest. Give the money back. Thanks, Dan. So generous with your time, man. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Thanks very much for the chain. This is the Shift Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Shift. It is time for us to get into some gadgets and geekery. This is like the most wonderful time of the year when it comes to the gadgets part. I get really, uh, I really get excited about that. So let's just get straight into it with Blaine Kylo. Technological World, solocore.com is the website, solocore on the Twitter as well. Uh, Blaine Kylo is here. That song, Technological World, Blaine, you know, if you yes. really listen carefully to it, um, it kind of sounds like you're singing. <laughs> I'm much more baritone than that. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 don't, have, I don't have a high note in my body anymore. I believe that's Patrick Cowley, uh, is the name of the artist, and um, and uh, it sounds like you. So now every time all the shift heads listen to that song, um, Sheldon, can you just play just the first five seconds of it for me again, if you don't mind bringing it up? Yeah. Okay. So you see what I mean? So that sounds like Blaine Kylo, doesn't it? Yeah, We've well, been, I'm not. I'm not going to try and do that falsetto for you. Sorry. I've been doing this show fill in and full time for almost two and a half years, <laughs> and that's the first time I heard it. You're a great fill in. <laughs> How are you doing, Blair? Everything uh, good in the uh, Kylo house? Yeah, five uh, centimeters of snow on Cypress oh. last night. It's cold enough. Excited and for ski enough. season. Yeah, the you snow. Got your passes falling. ready. The mountains just look so spectacular. We had a couple of sunny days before the rain comes back, and the clouds part. The sun comes out, and you see the the white peaks there mm -hmm. over the over. The, it's just it's stunning. It's kind of a well here in Alberta when we when we look at the Rockies from the east to the west. When the sun yep. rises in the morning, it just it's like a spotlight on this time of year when those mountains just sparkle right it looks they like diamonds sparkle. on the horizon so yeah. when i'm imagining for you because you're on the west coast is it really sunset that really lights them up the opposite well n no because our mountains are on the north and so oh, right. you kind of get them you, you get a bit in the morning depending on where the sun is in, in the winter time the sun is a little further south so they actually the the morning sun lights up the north shore mountains quite nicely Nice. All right. Where are we going here? The uh, technological world is where we uh, is what we're here for. I think we should probably start uh, with the gaming things. Uh, did you want to start directly with your clip or do you want to tell the story about it first? 
No, I want to talk about difficulty in games because Metroid Dread, which is the big game we're talking about today, has kind of re brought about this discussion about whether games should be hard or not. Because Metroid Dread is not the easiest game to play. And the truth is, old school gaming, games were difficult. You had to play them over and over and over again. You often didn't have any kind of tutorial. You had to learn how to play the games by playing them. You figured out the systems by experimenting with them. And that's the world that the Metroid series comes out of. And so there's an interesting discussion happening right now about whether Metroid Dread is too difficult and whether the developers should have come up with some kind of an easy mode for people to play. Um, and I'm not going to make that decision for anybody. Um, I'll just say that this is not a game that's going to hold your hand. It's an amazing game. Um, we'll talk more about it after the clip. The most powerful bounty hunter in the galaxy, Samus Aran. On her latest mission, she'd explore the inner belly of a beastly planet. So you play as Samus, a heroine, and this is a side-scrolling game. So it's two dimensions. You're moving left and right on a map, and when you move to the right, you end up in a different room. When you move to the left, you end up in a different room. The screen changes. You can move up and down in this space as well, depending on whether the map allows you to do that. And you're shooting enemies and dodging enemies and platforming at times to try and navigate through the space. That's what Metroid games are all about. And these are designed, very tightly designed, so that you don't need a tutorial. When you need to have a special power or ability or weapon to move to the next phase of the game, the game actually gives that to you and then you use it to move to the next space. And just by virtue of giving you that tool when you need it is how the game leads you through and teaches you the system. So it's kind of like a tutorial without a tutorial, if you know what I mean. Um, the other thing that's different about Metroid Dread from the other Metroid games is there's this element of you being the hunted. In previous games, you just kind of fought the enemies, fought the bosses, and moved on. But in this game, there are seven different Emmys, which are uh, robots that actually hunt you from one screen to another. And y you can only, you get one power-up weapon to kill that Emmy, and then that's, you, that weapon goes away. So you don't have the ability to kill these things until you find that weapon within the area that you're in. This is the thing that makes Metroid Dread have the dread. And it really does have a sense of tension when you're playing it because you're being hunted through these maps by these robots until you can find the weapon, the power-up, that allows you to kill that Emmy so that you can continue on to other areas of the map. It's not easy, but it's absolutely worth playing. Metroid Dread is a Nintendo Switch exclusive, and it's one of the best games of the year. Do you think that's going to frustrate people? I know that when I've gone back to playing Mario, that sort of left to right, two-dimensional, get through your three lives, die, start all over again. I did find it frustrating when I go back and play some of those old games versus the, you know, all I want to do is move on uh, mentality that many of the players will have today. Well, and that's why it's sort of brought this debate about difficulty back to the fore, because with so many games, you can adjust difficulty. If things are too hard, you can make it simpler. Even Nintendo has done that with the, some of the more recent Mario games. If it the game recognizes that you're having difficulty with a section, it will actually give you an assist or give you a, a superpower so that you can get through that section. Metroid Dread does not do that for you but it also doesn't make you start over at the very beginning. So it does autosave periodically. So it's not like you're starting five, 10, 15 minutes back. You're only starting a few seconds back. 
Um, and so, and again, it's an opportunity by continuing to do the same thing over and over again and try and experiment with different techniques and different strategies. That's how you learn how to play the game. That sounds really cool. Um, regardless, remember the old days when you used to have to buy a magazine in order to get the cheats? That was the, uh, that was the big secret. Yeah. And then we got the internet and now there are walkthroughs and cheat guides all over the place. All over the place. Okay, continuing here, let's get musical with our video games. Tell us about Ghost Runner. Uh, yeah, Ghost Runner, again, not the easiest game in the world. It's also quite difficult. It was released a couple of years ago for the PS4, Xbox One, and Windows. It's now been released for PS5 and Xbox Series X and S. If you've already got the older version, you can upgrade to the higher um, console versions for free. This is really parkour with katana sword fighting. It, it's fast, it's furious, it's in this dystopian future. It's a frenzied quick twitch experience that never slows down. So you're running and jumping off walls and off buildings and attacking the guys that are trying to kill you. If you get hit with one bullet, you're done. And again, it's start over and try again. And it's a game huh. that you learn how to play by doing it over and over again. What's the story about the music? Well, it's got a really good bass heavy synthesizer soundtrack, and it's very befitting of that futuristic dystopian setting. But if you really want to talk about music, then we want to talk about Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. That game comes out in a couple of weeks. And just like James Gunn did with the movie, the two movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, music is very much a part of this game. And Square Enix released the soundtrack today. Mm -hmm. It includes things like Kickstart My Heart from Motley Crue, mm -hmm. Blondie's Call Me, Billy Idol's White Wedding, all kinds of amazing songs. I'm going to bounce gonna be able through to a couple here while you because play. Because the, the mixtape nature in the movie, when it starts, the very first movie, when he pops in his, um, his tape player. Um, so this is like, this is how scattered it is. Okay, ready? And then it goes to this. <laughs> Which is amazing, right? Okay, what else we got here? Then we get into uh, this. Which is amazing. Space travel. Hello. This is yeah. a great song for space travel. And then it goes to stuff like this. <laughs> New kids on the block. This is great, actually. I love this. We actually play this for... Uh, we got to use this for Andy Barrar and Disco Andy on Mondays. Some culture tainted club, tainted love, soft cell, tainted love yeah. is in there. What are, what's that's your favorite from the list? You pick one. I like song? so many of them. I like so many mm -hmm. of them. I really like tainted love. Actually, that's a good one. And Billy Absolutely. Idol's had a bit of a resurgence, so it was kind of nice to hear White Wedding again. With Blaine Kylo here talking about gadgets and more. It is our uh, technological world and uh, the cool story of Internet Archive. Basically, trying to make all of the Creative Commons public info, permitted info, accessible for everyone on the internet. Do I have that right, Planer? Yeah, the whole idea that Brewster Call had back in 1996 was to try and make sure that things that appeared on the internet were documented because the internet is a public space in the same way that walking outside and being in the square downtown are public spaces. And what happens in those spaces is should be accessible to the public. And he wanted to make sure that those things were documented. So the original idea was it was just going to be a digital library that archived things that happened on the internet. Um, and so that's why that's where the Wayback Machine comes from. And if you've ever wanted to take a look at what a website looked like, you know, up to 25 years ago, uh, you can go into the Wayback Machine, which is one of the Internet Archive projects, and it has just grabbed over 25 years snapshots of billions of web pages, and it stores them. So you can go back and take a look at what Global's website looked like 10 years ago. And let me tell you, websites looked crazy 10 years ago. 
Um, they've done a whole bunch of things since then. The Internet Archive now includes digital archives of books and software and videos and all kinds of things. Uh, and they're celebrating this 25th anniversary with an online event on October 21st. Uh, it's going to start with Brewster himself taking us back to those early days 25 years ago. And then Cory Doctorow is going to follow up and he's going to imagine what things are going to be like 25 years from now in 2046. And you can actually have a look at what the way forward machine shows you websites are going to look like in 25 years cool. and uh, if you want to have a sense of what it's like here's a bit of a spoiler alert it's a pretty dystopian future that cory doctorow predicts for us 25 years from now time will tell i suppose now speaking of moving forward in time finally an upgrade for windows that I feel like as a Mac user, I could be a little bit more comfortable using because it looks pretty familiar, at least with the movement of the interfaces. Some good news for you Windows users. Yeah, Windows 11 is available. It's a free upgrade for many Windows 10 users um, in the same way that Windows 10 was a free upgrade for many. If you're a qualifying Windows 10 computer user, you'll actually get Windows 11 delivered to your device sometime in the next few months. They're doing slow rollouts to devices. Um, Microsoft is over time. You can go to the Windows 11 website and run a PC Health Check app, and that will tell you if your computer is capable of running the new operating system. Uh, among the things that come with Windows 11 are um, better accessibility features to support people with disabilities, which has become a really major focus for a lot of software developers, and rightly so. Um, there's better gaming support in Windows 11. It's actually built right into the operating system now. Um, people who are Microsoft Teams users, and there's lots of school people and students and employees that are using Microsoft Teams now, you can access your chat directly from the taskbar in Windows 11, and general performance enhancements as well. Windows 11 appears to be running way faster and running different programs much quicker than Windows 10 did. Okay, what is the best Windows startup sound effect? You ready for this, Blaine? You got to vote. I'm ready. Let's hear Windows 98. All right. There's Windows XP. That one's pretty familiar. Uh, Windows Vista and 7, which I barely had. So which one of those is the best of them all, Blaine Kylo? Huh, probably XP, I think. But they're all a bit too orchestral, don't you think? I like the uh, I like the '90s eight and the Bing Bing Bing. Oh, like '90s it's, it's so just, nice. It, but it it goes on too long. You know, it's a yeah. startup sound. Although sounds, it, it, it did take that long for '98 to, start to actually up. start up. <laughs> I mean, it did take a long time. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, you wanted to get into laptops, too, uh, because there was um, some announcements coming, and you like these. You're excited by these laptops. Yeah, well, you know, you've got a new operating system, and with new operating systems, especially when we're talking about Windows operating systems, you've got a whole bunch of new computers being announced at the same time. Um, because another way to get Windows 11 is to buy a new laptop that comes with Windows 11 pre-installed on it, of course. Acer was quick off the mark to announce some new laptops. There's a Nitro 5 gaming laptop that is equipped with Windows 11. If you'd rather have an ultralight computer, there's the Swift 5 line from Acer. And another thing that Acer's got is they've got a whole new line of Vero computers. And these are actually constructed using a whole bunch of post-consumer recycled plastics. So the Aspire Vero from Acer includes 30% of the computers actually built with recycled plastics. Um, smart. So yeah, this is just a, a new thing that a lot of the manufacturers are getting into. Apple's been doing this for a long time, um, making improvements to how they construct and manufacture their devices so that they can be a little more sustainable. Acer is doing the same kind of thing, but I don't know that anybody's had that much post-consumer recycled product in the 
devices themselves. They've also got a Travelmate Vero, which is coming in January, which is a business laptop. The Aspire is more of a general purpose laptop. Um, they've cool. got a desktop version that's coming out, the Veriton Vero Mini, and they've even got a monitor, a 27-inch monitor, again, built with recycled materials. Solocore.com, Blaine Kylo. Thanks for being here, bud. Talk to you in a week. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 